Whether you're starting a game or starting your day, you need to pick a starting lineup, and you're going to want the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with the superior skincare the pros love, Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-sized intense therapy lip balm, SPF 25, in natural mint. Here's to the winning combination for 2022, the LA Kings and the starter from Jack Black. $10 plus free shipping, available at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB while supplies last. You're listening to an LA Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit LAKings.com slash podcast. You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the LA Kings. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. The preseason is over. The 2022-23 season starts Tuesday night against the Vegas Golden Knights. As we've done for the past few years, we're going to take a look at the upcoming season and lay out the 10 biggest storylines that will determine just how successful this team can be. It's one of my favorite episodes of the season because I get to hang out with Nick Nixon and Jim Fox for an hour, pretend that I know anything at all about hockey. Hope you enjoy it. Let's all have a great season. Go Kings, go. All right, the 2022-23 LA Kings season is set to begin. We are taking a look at the 10 biggest storylines facing the LA Kings for the upcoming season. Joining me to do so, Nick Nixon. How are you doing today, Nick? Great, Jesse. Uh, great to be back and looking forward to another Kings season. And, of course, Jim Fox. How are you doing today, Jim? I'm doing great, Jesse. Uh, always great to join you and Nick. And, uh, yeah, we're right, right we're around gonna... the corner. That's right. Uh, we are recording this Sunday afternoon at about 5 o'clock. The season is set to kick off Tuesday night for the LA Kings against the Vegas Golden Knights. So in uh, light of that information, we're going to start with a storyline. I'm going to stop calling them questions because I think people get uncomfortable when I call them questions. And we're not giving answers. We're just saying these are the storylines that will need to play out over the course of the season. Number 10, how will the rest of the Pacific Division perform? Um, Jim, we'll start with you. Some big storylines in the Pacific. We don't need to go over all of them, but uh, any seismic changes in your mind coming up for this season in the Pacific Division? Well, with the Pacific, uh, I'm going to try to run through it very quickly. Uh, Anaheim, San Jose, still in transition. So if the Kings are in a battle with those guys, that's trouble. Mm -hmm. uh, Seattle will be better. I mean, veterans picked up in the offseason. Martin Jones in goal. Justin Schultz, Michael Kempney back on the blue line. Bjornstrand. Burakovsky up front, uh, you know, Jaden Schwartz going to be healthy. Brandon Tanev be healthy. If they're healthy, Matt Beneers talking about Calder considerate. So Seattle is going to be better, but then it just comes to the Edmonton gained a lot of experience last year and they have skill. Calgary, a lot of changes, but they're right where they were last year or maybe better with all these changes. So to me, the way I look at the Pacific, the wild cards, which are not, Wild card to get in the playoff. The wild card teams are Vancouver. The record under Bruce Boudreau was 32 15 and 10. Mm -hmm. That was the second best winning percentage during his tenure since he took over. Thatcher Demko is the key in goal because their roster really doesn't wow me. It, it doesn't, but I think Bruce has a way of getting people to feel comfortable and play more aggressively as far as the offense goes. And then guess who? Guess who it is? The Vegas Golden Knights. 
Bruce Cassidy, new system. He calls it more goalie friendly. It's going to be more conservative in the neutral zone, the defensive zone. Offense is not going to be a problem. And it worries me. It worries me because I think that Vegas is capable of outscoring their goaltending issues. So, bottom line, generally, I know it's a long, I just feel that the Pacific must find a way to get four teams in as opposed to the 5-3 split. Nick, anybody you're afraid of in the Pacific? Well, you know, what Jim was explaining, pretty much I would agree with. Uh, I still think Edmonton and Calgary are going to be at the top before it's all said and done. Uh, And and that being said, um, only because the question mark with Vegas and their goaltending with the injuries to uh, the injury, I should say, to Leonard. Of course, Brossois will probably come back at, at some point, but he's been a career backup. Um, Calgary, I look at their defense, and boy, one through six, is there a better top six, not only in the division, but in the NHL? Maybe not. Um, I like their experience. They traded two great forwards uh, or lost two great forwards and got two in return. Um, like Jen, Jim mentioned, the Edmonton Oilers, their playoff experience, I think they're ready to go to the next level. Uh, Vancouver, yeah, Bruce Boudreaux's teams always play well in the regular season. Uh, he'll be there for the whole season. Uh, they're in the mix. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, if Vancouver and L.A., they'll be there, I think, and one or, you know, maybe both make it if four teams from the division uh, get in, unlike last season. And, yeah, I mean, San Jose, Anaheim kind of retooling, a lot of new faces, um, veteran new faces in San Jose, especially up front. Anaheim still working in the young kids, so they're still a work in progress. Seattle, yeah, they'll get better. Uh, I'm not sold on their goaltending. Uh, Martin Jones is brought in as a veteran backup, but I think his career is going um, in the wrong direction, unfortunately. He hasn't had a, a good season for a while. So, yeah, to me, Edmonton, Calgary, uh, Vegas, and then L.A., Vancouver will be right there. They should be right there. Obviously, nothing ever goes the way people fully expect it to. So last year, the Kings were expected to fight for a, a playoff spot. They wound up finishing third in the Pacific Division. Vegas was expected to be in that top three they missed. So uh, this year, it'll be curious. Or it'll be interesting, I should say, to see how uh, the Pacific Division plays out and uh, what the Kings will have to do to cope with that. But let's transition into talking about the Kings specifically. Last year, injuries played a huge role, um, and COVID was still part of our reality last year. You know, there were um, there were taxi squads brought back for a brief period last year. Presumably this year, that will not happen. But even so, the Kings have a number of players returning who missed significant time with injuries last year. Some of them are not uh, even necessarily fully healthy in the offseason. Nick, we'll start with you. Um, health will obviously play a huge role this season for the LA Kings. Yeah, and uh, it's interesting. They made the playoffs with all of those key injuries on the blue line last year. And good news, it looks like, to start the healthy Sean Walker, who got in some preseason games, a healthy Drew Doughty. Uh, the Kings found out what some of the younger defensemen can do last year because of injuries. So I like the depth there. I know they've experimented with moving right shot defensemen to the left side in the preseason. We saw Sean Walker there. Um, final preseason game, we saw Sean Jersey move to the left side. So, yeah, I think 
uh, defensively. And, and you, you talk about injuries, Jesse, and it was really the, the defense, right? That was the concern. So if the defense stays healthy, that's going to make the Kings a, a tougher team to play against because some of those younger defensemen got valuable experience last year, not only in the regular season, but in the playoffs. And then up front, they now have pretty good depth. I think they, they can weather, you know, the storm if one or two forwards go down for, let's say, 10 or 12 games. I think they do have the depth now to, to be able to play through that and still be a dangerous offensive team. Jim, last year I was fond of saying that the team had too many guys, and it turns out with all those injuries, they had just enough guys, or the perhaps the right exact right amount to make it into the playoffs. Um, obviously, you yourself had some offseason uh, surgery going, so how difficult as a former player um, is it to get back to who you are as a player when you're dealing with some of the injuries that some of these guys are dealing with? It is a concern for me early in the season. I think it is. It's a big concern. It is my biggest concern early in the season because Arvidsson didn't miss a lot of games, mm-hmm. but back injury. And it looks like everything's great. You know, he played the last preseason game, all that stuff. But that's a tough thing. Dursey, you know, the reconstruction almost of his shoulder. Looks like he's okay. Walker missed the whole season. Dowdy missed the whole So. I think early on, it will be an adjustment period to make things happen that way. And I think as a group, they did a phenomenal job last year. But, uh, you know, now they have guys that are coming back uh, under very difficult circumstances. And I think that's a concern for me. Another couple of areas I look at uh, this, Quentin Byfield, whether it's injury or he has to continue to get stronger in puck battles because, you know, when, when he snapped his ankle, it was a weird you know, where he fell into the boards, but he was knocked off the puck before he went down. Mm-hmm. He has to get stronger. I think I think if he continues to get stronger like he should, just normally maturing, I'm not accelerating anything right here. He's still a kid, but he gets stronger. I think that's going to keep him more healthy as we look into the future. And then kind of a reverse way of looking things injury-wise, Cal Peterson has to get back on track to keep Jonathan Quick fresh. And if Jonathan Quick is fresh, then I think he's going to be healthy. I think that's important. Not only the Kings, but mostly in the NHL. Everyone says you need two goaltenders nowadays. And I think it's important for Peterson to get back on track so Jonathan is fresh. And that will keep his health secure. Jim, let me ask you about injuries real quick. Drew Doughty played 39 games last season but missed the end of the season. Alex Edler played 41 games last year, but they were sort of mixed in to the middle of the season. Coming into this year, is it better is not exactly the right word I want to use, but does Drew Doughty have to sort of relearn how to play coming off of those injuries, whereas Edler relearned how to play coming off of his in the middle of the season, right? There's a bigger space between Doughty and the last game he played than than Edler had. The cons- because Drew's was a wrist, mm-hmm. I think he's able to skate and keep the legs and all that going. So that's what concerns me again, what's concerned everyone, is the bro- bone that he broke last year. It's one of those weird situations where it's a very difficult bone to heal. And that's why you need to go through surgery and you need to get it all set and, and you can't really do anything. He couldn't do anything for a long period of time. I think he's back to being healthy. And again, when you ha- have an upper body injury, you're able to skate. So I don't think that's an issue. I don't think he has to relearn anything. I'm just concerned 
I'm just concerned that the potential for re-injuring that wrist, which again, you know, if it does happen, then you're talking a very serious situation because of of where it is. I'm sure they're I'm sure he's back 100%. Many times when a bone heals, it heals better than it was before. But um, that's just, you know, I've used the word concern a couple of times. And for Drew, that's my concern. I, you know, just want to make sure every contact he goes into, he is, he's, he's not going to smunch up and crunch up his wrist somehow. Jim, you mentioned Quentin Byfield's injury. So we're going to start with you on this one. Uh, the next Subject is, will any players have breakout or graduation seasons? And I'm using uh, Arthur Kaliev as the model for this one. So uh, younger players who have not yet necessarily defined a role, um, I would put Quentin Byfield in that category because of that injury last season. Jim, anyone anyone that you see as being a potential for having a breakout season? I mean, the the obvious is Velarde. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like you need it. But unfortunately, I think with Gabriel Velarde, Gabe, I think he needs to be in a top six role. He can get a little bit if he still continues to play the front net man on the power play. He can get more of that production ice time. And, but he just, I just have that. He needs to be one of the go-to guys and he has not yet played that role at the NHL level, but I think he's had the best camp of anyone. So let's hope that can happen. I, Kupari is another guy I, I think about. He's forgotten so many times. And production is not what I'm thinking about here as far as breakout season. It's more just be a force. You can skate, you're big, be a force out there. The other name that comes to mind, and it's tough because fourth line minutes, Carl Grundstrom. Is he going to be our 13th forward? Is he going to be on the th- probably bottom six, right? So, but I just think his shot release, which is what he was known for when he was drafted way back, we're seeing that a little bit more. And was he the best four checker in the playoffs last year for the Kings? He might have been. He might have been the Kings' best four checker. So I just think he can. I think he can go to another level. Again, it's going to be tough with fourth line minutes. At the same time, I just think there's more there from Carl. And then I'm going to go way off the board for my last one. And at least the way the season looks like it's going to start, and he's going to have competition from a teammate in Ontario. But Toby Bjornfoot has to be the best defenseman in the American Hockey League. I'm talking about the best defenseman. Now, Jordan Spence was right there last year, and he might be right beside him this year. But that's – if 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 Toby doesn't make it back up and play a lot of games, he has to be a first all-star best defenseman down in the American Hockey League. Nick, the reason I phrased this question the way I did is, as I said, we're recording this on the 5 o'clock on uh, the 9th. We don't know – definitively whether or not Brant Clark is going to start the season in the NHL with the LA Kings. At this point, I am assuming he will. Um, but I didn't want to make the question, how many games will Brant Clark play? <laughs> um, <laughs> but Nick, you know, let's just talk about Brant Clark. Yeah. Um, well, before we do, Jesse, I, I just want to get back and, and play off of what Jim was talking sure. about with some of the younger players, um, you know, who can step up and, you know, continue that that positive trajectory i'm gonna go i'm gonna throw out a name here sean dersey mm-hmm. because i think if he can improve his defensive game and he talked about it after his first preseason game uh, of course it was you know after he was unable to play for the first five about his defensive reads i think if he can become a better defender uh we all know what he can do offensively but boy, uh, what what will the Kings have 
if Sean Dursey shows the coaching staff, Trent Yanni, Todd McClellan, that, hey, I can be a solid defender. You can use me in key situations. Uh, we know we're going to see him on the power play, but uh, against other teams, top-end players, that, to me, that's going to be huge. That takes your defense as a group to, to another level. Now, with Brant Clark, we all know his situation uh, because uh, first-round pick, he's only 19 either, stays with the Kings all year. He can play nine games before they make that decision. And uh, from what we're told, those nine games aren't Kings games. They're, they're games that he plays. So he can play nine games between now and December, and then they can make a decision to, to keep him or send him back. But, uh, boy, what's not to like about what we saw from Clark in in the preseason, played all but the last game. Uh, Todd put him out in every situation, skating, mobility, his vision, sees the ice, uh, was trying to make great plays when we thought maybe he could shoot the puck. Maybe that comes with experience, but uh, I, I think he's going to be the real deal down the road. And uh, we all hope it's sooner than later, but again, he's only 19. And uh, I think the Kings have a real, a real, outstanding prospect uh, here in, in Brant Clark. Jim, any thoughts on the young 19-year-old blue liner? Uh, from what I've heard from the Kings development staff, he is – I didn't hear this from them. This is my opinion. <laughs> right. He's a wild horse. Okay. He's a, a rover. Modern day – it's a position now in the NHL for a defenseman. Kale McCarr, he's a rover. You just go to defense to when they drop the puck. After that, you just skate wherever you want to go. And Clark fits that bill. The one thing I've noticed, I have not noticed him being beat one-on-one. -on -one. I'm not noticing any defensive deficiency. Now, he may be out of position at times because he is really attack mode. Attack mode, attack mode, attack mode. That's his mentality. I love it. At 6'2", don't forget, at 6'2", and with a good stick, he becomes one of your biggest defensemen for the Kings. Not physical, but big. Take away time and space, reach, those types of things. So I see, you know, that's what I see from him. If he was a lefty, he wouldn't be playing with Dowdy, but he would be your number one lefty. How's that? <laughs> I like it. So that is going to bring us into the next uh, storyline of the year, which is what will the defense look like? How will it evolve from last season? And you you sort of hit the nail on the head there, Jim. He's not a lefty. He's a right shot defenseman. And the Kings are now looking to enter the season. Um, they At the time of this recording, they still have eight defensemen in camp, but Jacob Muverare has been placed on waivers. I'm assuming that's in anticipation of assigning him to Ontario tomorrow, Monday, when people are listening to this. If they start with Drew Doughty, Sean Walker, Matt Roy, Sean Dersey, and Brant Clark, uh, I think that's five right shot defensemen. Is it not? Or is that? That's five. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and Alex Edler and, and Mikey Anderson too left. I've seen plenty of teams with a, you know, an imbalance the other way with more left shot defensemen and fewer right shot defensemen. I don't know that I've ever seen a team with, with that, with the, the imbalance on the right side. Does that matter, Jim? I mean, it, it shouldn't, it, right? Well, it, it matters in that most coaches, head and assistant coaches, guys that handle the D want their guys playing on their strong side. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's, you know, the analytics tells them that 
that's the best place for those guys. Now, in the offensive zone, that's a different thing, right? Dursey's talked about it. Clark, he's, if they go from the left, the sticks on the inside of the ice, they can get to the inside of the ice a little bit quicker, and it makes them more dangerous in the offensive zone. Uh, but, you know, breakouts and how you receive passes as you're breaking out, all those things, it makes it more difficult. Uh, Walker, I've got to watch closely, right? Just just as, as a D group because missed the whole year. I mean, that's that's tough. That's tough to come back for. Uh, Edler, you need him in, not 82 games, but you need him in because he's of his size. You need him to take up that long reach, time and space. You need that. Jersey Nick was talking about earlier. Nick, I, I thought last year during the regular season, he was exposed when he had outside speed and he was beat just in the playoffs. I don't think I remember him being beat once. So he, if he can start where he left off, and like you said, Nick, if he, if he cleans that up, man, then you have that. You have, he's going to log some minutes there. Uh, you know, Jordan Spence. I, I think he did slip a little bit at the end of camp. It's unfair to him to to say that, but I just saw him making more plays earlier in camp, and then as the camp went on, I, I just didn't notice him as much with the puck. But uh, as a whole, right, we all know the Kings have a lot of the same style, a lot of the same hand shot, and a lot of the same size or lack thereof of size back on the blue line. And Jim, let me just uh, uh, follow this up with you, uh, with the injuries, because you went through knee issues, uh, not only last month, but uh, in your playing career. Uh, we remember Rob Blake uh, early in the season, uh, blew out his knee and, and missed the whole season, much like Sean Walker did last year. The expectation of Walker this year, I know, for a lot of us that have followed the sport for a number of years, players coming back from major knee problems, they come back, they play a year, and then it's that second year healthy where they get back to their their, their game and what we've expected from them. I mean, that has to be a, a concern with Sean Walker, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. The one thing I think is a positive, Nick, and I'm a, not a doctor. I only play one on TV. Uh, his body type. I think the taller and lanky you, you are, the more a devastating knee injury hurts you. I think a, a, a more compact body like Sean, I think that helps you. Uh, but that's, I missed a full season and came back. The one thing I was, I was in better shape cardio-wise because you, you just nose to the grindstone, you know, but as the season went along, I assume early on that the Kings coaching staff is going to watch Sean Walker closer than any player on the team. And I think that I think he will miss a game here and there just to kind of either settle down his his leg or the, the fatigue or the strength or just maybe uh, readjust confidence. Uh, but like we saw last year, a huge, huge positive for the Kings is, man. They made the playoffs last year with, you know, with Dowdy out and with Walker out and Edler going. They made the playoffs with some serious, wasn't it? Was there one game where all six really didn't start the season with the Kings? Yeah. 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 So, well, I think it was late February, early March. Right. The six defensemen in the lineup uh, were, none of them were in the yeah. opening night line. Yeah. And, Five yeah. of them were in Ontario. Yeah. And, 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 yeah. Yeah. And because of that, I mean, that's why a lot of us considered Todd for, you know, yeah. the coach of the year. And he got a lot of votes. I think he finished fourth or, or fifth, uh, yeah, right um, the... but yeah, he uh, 
you know, the, the job the Kings did just keeping it together and, and moving forward and being positive and getting points here and there and getting into the playoffs, quite an achievement. Yeah. To have Spence and Bjornfoot, you know, and Movari as your call-up guys, that's it's a pretty good position to be in. Yeah, you've got nine guys now that all have NHL experience that yep. are in the fold on the blue line. Mm-hmm. Jim, I want to ask you a quick question about Sean Walker. He, in the past, pr- prior to Sean Dersey being called up last season and, and making a name for himself, prior to Jordan Spence being called up and prior to Brant Clark arriving in camp, Sean Walker was sort of viewed as, oh, a third pair, offensive-minded, puck-moving, good-skating defenseman, you know, who would run the second power play uh, for the Kings. Does it almost help him now that that, pressure to fit that mold might be reduced because they have Sean Dersey and Jordan Spence and Brant Clark and, you know, more guys that fit that mold now in the fold. Yeah, I I think so. I think that'll allow him to, to really keep it simple. And then having said that, that's as an individual, having said that one way, the Kings, there's a few ways the Kings can get back to the playoffs. And one way would be more production from the D-man as a group. Mm-hmm. So with Sean, I'm saying, yeah, he can play more simplified, not worry about the points. At the same time, as a group, I think the Kings, to get back in the playoffs, will need more from their demon. Well, Sean Dersey might have more points in the preseason already than, uh, than any other defenseman had in the regular season last year. So uh, we're moving along well on that one. That brings us to our next storyline. And this one, obviously, we will not have an answer for today, but it, it might be the biggest uh, looming question of the season. Nick, we'll start with you. And that is, how will the goaltenders split the games this year? <laughs> yeah, I mean, to me, this would be top three storylines. Uh, mm-hmm. Number one, because of Jonathan Quick's age. I don't think he can handle 60 games uh, in a season like he did in his prime. Um, it, you know, it it's all predicated, I think, on Cal Peterson. Uh, if Cal can sort out his game and be consistently good night after night, which is what? a number one goaltender has to be, right, on a good team. He has to be consistently good night after night. He had too many swings last year, ups and downs. That allowed Quick to play maybe more games than he thought he was going to play, than the coaches thought he was going to play. But we all know Quick came in and and got the job and got the job done. And uh, when the playoffs started, he was their best goaltender. So they had to play Jonathan Quick, which, which isn't so bad, right? Uh, but in a perfect world, we start seeing Cal uh, developing his game to the point where, yeah, he's going to be the number one goaltender in the future or near future. Uh, maybe they hope it's now, but uh, uh, have to see it, right? He's got to do it to, to show us all that he can be the guy. He's got some pressure. He's in the first year of a big contract, $5 million a year. Um, hopefully that doesn't, uh, affect him and his development, uh, because Jonathan Quick is not going to be around forever. Um, and the Kings, you know, in, in the pipeline, I don't know if they're as deep as they'd like to be with goaltending prospects. So this is key. I, I, this is a huge storyline for the Kings this year is, is the goaltending. And it starts, I think, with Cal Peterson because we know what Quick can do and, like I said earlier, I can't expect Quick to be jumping Quick of five, six, seven years ago and play 60 games. 
Jim, uh, <clears throat> my dad constantly references Johnny Bauer uh, as being a, a player that causes him to have faith in Jonathan Quick's uh, ability as he uh, ages. But Phoenix Copley is making um, as a one-way contract this year, though he also was placed on waivers today, Sunday the 9th. Should we read anything into the fact that the Kings went out and acquired um, a goalie and are paying him a, a one-way contract to play in Ontario? Uh, I think we can read into the fact that they want the Ontario Reign to win the Calder Cup. Okay. And I think they're really going to go for that. Um, Copley looked real sharp in the limited time we saw him as far as his movement was very calm and compact. The goaltending situation to me is, is if the Kings, you're always developing players, right? You're always, mm -hmm. but if the Kings are moving out of the development stage and into more of a compete for the playoff stage, Cal Peterson has to earn his starts. Now it's, you know, if the Kings were less concerned about playoffs, I think Cal would be given the benefit of the doubt again. He would be thrown back. For that reason, I'm going to say Jonathan Quick, 47 games, Cal Peterson, 35 games. And I think Quick, he's going to get the starts early. And if everything goes okay, he's going to earn that. Now, I think Cal will be earning those 35 starts. Uh, known as a very technically sound goaltender, whether it's pressure or not, we don't. I think there's a little bit too much movement from Cal I'm seeing in the preseason, where before he was very big as far as a presence with shoulders square. Uh, a little, I'm not going to say happy feet. I don't think Cal has happy feet, but he's. There is a little bit of a, a movement thing where he becomes smaller as opposed to bigger. So he's got to get that going. But I, I'm going – last year, you know, I was – again, Nick hit it long term. I mean, because of age, you assume Cal is going to have to take over. But, again, I think the Kings, they want another playoff spot again. And for that reason, early on, they're going to go with whoever – and it's going to be Jonathan to start and – if he ends up playing 47 games, that means he's fresh enough, but yet he's getting enough to get the Kings points. Can I get and a little Jesse, definition of a happy feet there, Jim? Sorry, Nick. Uh, just same, same as football. You get a quarterback back in the pocket and they're just fidgety. Uh, they never seem settled. Uh, instead of a one piece, one quick push across the crease, there's a couple of shuffles and then you over rotate when you get to one side. So then you have to bounce back in. Uh, again, Cal wasn't known for that. Cal was known for co complete technical style. And, and I think it's just slipped a little bit there. Uh, but I think that it's something that can be fixed. Sorry, Nick, I cut you off. Yeah, no problem. Um, uh, getting back to, uh, you talked about Phoenix Copley being signed an older pro. And I think we've seen that trend the last couple of years with the Kings, uh, Garrett Sparks, uh, year before that, Troy Groshnik, older goaltenders that have some NHL experience. And I think the organization uh, feels that that, that is an insurance policy. Should Quick and or Peterson get injured, uh, if they had a, a young prospect in Ontario for a couple of years that was just outstanding and splendid, they probably wouldn't shy away from recalling him. But I think that's just an insurance policy um, because of where the development of the young goaltenders is at right now in the organization. Yeah, Nick, I I, I cannot agree more with you there. I. Again, I think the Kings are moving out of the general development stage. So for that reason, you, you hit the nail right on the head. They need that safety valve. 
in case something that, you know, in past years, again, when you always want to win, you always want to get in, but you're also concerned about other, how much ice time and who's playing. Right now, the Kings, I think their number one concern is getting wins. And if someone does go down, Copley would be that guy to just jump right in. So one of the reasons that I love talking to you guys about LA Kings hockey, besides the fact that you are both who you are, uh, is that neither one of you is shy to pull punches. And Nick, a few years ago, we were doing this very same topic, and uh, you plainly said uh, the team needs to score goals. I don't know where the goals are going to come from. Um, Last year, the goals were not coming on the power play. And that brings us to our next topic, which is will the special teams improve? I'm going to throw some numbers out at you guys here. Uh, Last year, the power play was uh, 16.1%. Now, that was 27th in the league. I don't much like focusing on where the team's uh, numbers rank in the league because that has more to do with how other teams do around them than their actual performance. But nonetheless, 16.1% and net power play, which is power play and then shorthanded goals against factored in. Their net power play was 12.5%. Their penalty kill, though, it got stronger later in the season was 76.7%. Their net PK was a little bit better at 81.5 because they did score their fair share of shorthanded goals. But Nick, do you feel like your concern about goal scoring over the last few years has now been shored up with the additions that they've made in previous years and now this year with Kevin Fiala? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we we had this conversation uh, two seasons ago before Arvidsson, before mm-hmm. Deneau, and now before Kevin Fiala. And uh, unfortunately, the Kings haven't seen a young forward that they've drafted come in and, and wow us. And okay, he's a top six guy. It's automatic. He, he's a top, he's going to get 30 goals, etc. So that's where the addition of those NHL players that I just mentioned, those three has really helped the cause. And with now with the addition of Fiala, um, you know, you, you can kind of liken it to when they brought in Arvidsson last year, both players have had power play experience in their past and, you know, you, Jesse, and, and Foxy, you, you and I have talked about this. Whenever we played Fiala, either in Minnesota oh. or with Nashville, <laughs> yeah. he shoots the puck. Each, and we've seen it in the preseason. You can't score. I, I'm going to sound like, a, you know, uh, you know, Nostradamus here. You can't score if you don't shoot the puck, ah, right? There you go. And, <laughs> and, and, and I've seen it. We've seen it in the preseason. We've seen it in the power plays with Fiala out there. He shoots the puck, and and I go back to we played the Capitals uh, about two or three seasons ago at home when Alec Martinez was still playing for us, and we all know what the Capitals do on the power play. It's Backstrom, Govechkin, uh, one timer at the left circle. Well, they tried that four times, and Alec Martinez blocked all four shots. They tried it a fifth time, and he scored. Uh, and and you just that's his strength, and that's why I think the power play, and we'll talk about that in, in depth in a moment, that's why I think the power play will be better. Fiala will help there because he has that shooting mentality. And I also like the fact that some of the young defensemen that we saw in the preseason quarterbacking the power play, it was Spence early on when he got games. Jersey looks like he'll start the season with the Kings. Uh, they, they just have that 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 mentality that that – that the good power plays have now in the NHL. They need those players that move away from the puck, with the puck, without it. And when they get it, they want to shoot. They have to shoot. So uh, to me, I would be shocked 
if the Kings are a healthy team, everybody has injuries, but if the Kings are a relatively healthy team, their power play will be better based on what I'm seeing, not only with the addition of Fiala, but with the different mindset they have with the, the, the coaching of it, bringing in Jim Heller. Jim, how much of an impact does a, a coach have on that? Because the power play, I don't think I'm talking out of school to say the power play looks completely different and people are noticing. Yeah, I, I think I think the fresh set of eyes, set of eyes, and just, you know, the the clean slate type of thing. I think it's easier for a new coach that's coming in to not get dragged into a rut that it's tough to get out of. You don't have loyalties to certain players, so you you don't have to keep playing them if you think they're not as effective as other guys could be. So I think that's a you know I, I'm very interested to hear what Jim has been saying early, and he hasn't said a lot of specifics, but how you adjust during the season is important because. You do something right, the other team takes it away. You've got to adjust. So we're seeing more flexibility, right? The way they enter the zone, what positions they go to. It's not necessarily set. It's more open initially. Everyone has set plays, and the Kings do too. But it's it's less rigid than it was in the past. And I think it's more flexible now, and that just allows other guys to get involved. Uh, you know, Fate, Kopi was on the, the half wall on his off wing. And there's a lot of guys that quarterback the power play from that. But that's a one-time shooter position for a player that doesn't shoot the puck. So Nick was touching on it with Ovechkin. What we've seen in the preseason now is Kopitar on the other side, a little bit more movement. But he is feeding Kempe cross-seam. He is feeding Fiala. And that is that makes it a little... If we if you can establish something the other team has to take away, man, other things do open up. They do. Because, you know, in Ovechkin, there's also John Carlson back on the blue line. And then Oshie and the, and the little, you know, that little triangle. So they they have a lot of things. Uh, Drew Doughty was interesting. I just talked to him a couple of days ago. He said he doesn't th- think that the Kings are moving the, their feet more. He feels the puck is moving more. So they might still be in kind of stationary positions, but the puck is no question moving a lot quicker. Uh, and it it has to get better. It will get better. I mean, I'm just got Nick, like, like Kaliev on a second unit, or that's yeah. that's a good yeah. guy to have there. I mean, you know, he's picking up a little few garbage now in the preseason because he just shoots it so well that when he gets on his stick, you know, it doesn't have to be a perfect pass. He just gets a loose. I, that's Nick, what you were talking about earlier with the depth now. It, it does make me feel a lot better that more than two guys can help on the power play. Yeah, and you've got, you mentioned Kelly, you know, Gabe Velarde in the preseason. Yeah. He's used on the second unit. Around the net, he's a big body. He's smart and tight. Um, so, yeah, if, if the younger players continue to develop and get the opportunities, uh, what you think of as the second power play unit may well be your number one power play unit. Although I still think Kempe and Fiala and, and they'll be, uh, they'll be huge factors on it. You, you talked about Kopitar and what we've seen over the years from him. It's interesting in the last preseason game, uh, the other night with, with Anaheim, I think Kopitar had four power play shots in the game. Yeah, when was the last run. time? Yeah. When was the last time we've said that? And they all came from the left side. Yeah. And, and he's a left shot. So yeah. yeah, maybe there are there are different things that 
that the older players are buying into now with a, a new voice, like you said, Jim. Yeah, and I, you know, with Kopi, you need him on the power play. He's your best player. He has been. Uh, we'll get to that a little bit later as far as production, what I expect. But he's he's your best player. He calms things down. He makes smart plays. He, he has good reads. But if he gets four power play shots a night, Nick, Kings will be top 10 because he might not be scoring on them, but someone else is going to pick it up and someone else is going to get open. No question. Yeah, and, and it was interesting. I think it was the game, uh, the overtime game the Kings won. It was in Vegas. It was a four-on-three, and they had Spence out there. There was Spence, Kempe, and Fiala, and Kopitar was at the top of the goal crease. Mm -hmm. I mean, we all know he's a big body. I mean, but that's – when was the last time we saw that set up with Kopitar on a man advantage? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we're seeing different looks, and it, 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 it lends me to believe that, uh, okay, I think it's going in the right direction. It's going to be better. I would almost guarantee the Kings will have a pretty good power play this year. There's a play that I've seen, I don't know, maybe half a dozen times, and I was talking about it with a couple of people in the press box yesterday in that Ducks game that Nick referenced, Jim, where rather than Kopitar sending the pass all the way to Kempe on the far side or whoever it was, he sends it to the bumper, but the yeah. bumper is even closer to him than the center of the ice. The bumper is mm -hmm. sometimes two or three feet away from him, and before you even realize that he's making a pass, the shot is off. Um, is that the sort of play you're talking about where you set up that cross-seam pass and, and then surprise them with something else? Well, I think that I think the Kings are trying to implement, which a lot of teams do, and it's hurt the Kings many times, is that low triangle. For instance, mm -hmm. Kopitar on the half wall left side goes down low. The low player about the goal line to the left of the net immediately taps it to a, you know, that triangle right there, the guy who's mm -hmm. going to shoot it right away. And I saw the Kings three times in the preseason try to get it, didn't score on it, only got two shots of the three attempts, but that's three more attempts in that configuration than I saw all last year. Mm -hmm. and again, that's just more versatility. That's more variety. Uh, that's that's just a new. That's a new mindset. That's what it is. It's a new mindset, and you know, yeah, they had to. They had to change, and uh, now I think with a new season starting and a new coach who's given that priority, uh, it's fresh now. It's fresh. All right, we didn't talk about the penalty kill at all, but I think we can all just agree it needs to be better. <laughs> front net, they talked about front net coverages, and I think that's very important on the power play. That that low triangle play I was talking about, the Kings working on, it worked against them many times. Mm -hmm. So the, the collapsing, the way the forwards and the defense, you know, get a tight knit. And and then, you know what? Uh, you know, your, your save percentage from goaltenders in quality shots that they receive on penalty kill, it has to go up. And that's if that goes up, then... And there's a lot of things that go into that. Yeah, we don't have time to go into that now, but there's a lot of things that yeah. go into why a goaltender feels confident or not in that situation. Well, let's talk about five-on-five five play because one of the uh, reasons they did make the playoffs last season was the surprising offensive output of players like Phil Deneau, Trevor Moore, and Adrian Kempe. And I just got curious because I was thinking again about that comment you made, Nick, a few years ago about where the goals are going to come from. And I was thinking to myself, well, they did lose players this offseason, and those players did score goals. But I was surprised at actually how many goals left the lineup. So I looked it up. It's 25. Athanasiu had 11 goals. Brown had nine. Ferk had two. Leish Anderson had one. Christian Wolanin had one. And Oli Mata had one. But they could theoretically lose some goals if players like Phil Deneau don't score 27 again, which was a, a huge career high for him. But Nick, 
you know, are there any players that you're concerned about with major offensive regression this season? Well, not not concerned, Jesse. Um, it very much looks like the line that was the King's best line in the second half of last year will start the season together. Mm-hmm. Deneau, who, as you mentioned, had the career high with 27 goals last year. Trevor Moore, career high 17, and Arvidsson had 20, and he missed some games. Uh, now, if, if they continue to be a very consistent, productive line for the Kings, maybe Arvidsson gets close to 30 and Deneau gets down to 20 and you know, still the line is producing like they did, that the goals are just redistributed. And then power play time uh, comes into it. Um, you mentioned the players that aren't here to start the season and their goal production that's not with them. You know, they've added 33 goals in Fiala, if you want to look at it that way, with Brown gone and Athanasio. Uh, you know, I, I think Kevin, he had a career year last year with Fiala with 33 goals and 85 points. So, uh, playing with arguably two of your best forwards and Kopitar and Kempe on a line. The expectations will be there. Won't surprise me if Fiala does what I expect him to do on the power play, that maybe Fiala leads the team in scoring. Uh, and uh, um, to say anybody but Andre Kopitar is going to do that, it doesn't win you a lot of money the last 15 years, right? Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I just... Again, I, I, I like the fact that, that Arvidsson shoots the puck. Uh, we saw that last year, and they had the great chemistry with Arvidsson, you know, and more. Fiala likes to shoot the puck, and boy, I mean, they've proven they can score in this league, and some, some of those players you just mentioned are not going to get to their totals from last year, but uh, I think, you know, hopefully they're, they're setting up their line mates. And, and so their line mates numbers get better. Um, I, I think the Kings will be a, a team that will be definitely in the top half of the NHL offensively because I think their power plays will be much better. Jim, does adding a player like Kevin Fiala to that top line help that second line repeat their offensive numbers from the second half of last season? They don't have to be the top line like they were at the end of last season. I'm going to go off the board here. Oh, boy. I'm not, okay. I'm not looking at the top six. I'm looking at the third line. Okay. That's where I'm looking because I, I don't, I think it's going to be very difficult for Philippe Deneau to do what he did last year. Okay. But he might get more power play time earlier in the season than he did last year because he really didn't play a lot of power play early in the season. And then he started to and he got a lot of, you know, front net goals and rebound goals and stuff like that. But I'm just looking at, you know, whoever's on the third, you know, I have follow. Uh, most would say a demotion, so to speak. Again, the way I like he's down in the batting order now compared to a top six role, which he played basically his entire time here with the Kings so far. But I believe now he'll be expected to drive that third line more so offensively. So he's going to get less, I guess, time, ice time, but I think his role changes a little bit. And, you know, I think the teams that have been very successful of late have really worked hard to put together a third line that is able to get enough production that makes your team dangerous. And I, I'm hoping that Alex uh, can do that. I'm hoping he can be that guy that that he still has to do all the little things that his coaches and teammates love him for that get overlooked by and, and I understand some of the criticism again. He's just not that type of guy that stands out. Well, he's going to have to stand out more in that third line. Uh, I think he's going to have to be more of a, a shooter 
and uh, at the same time still be that you know defensive conscience type guy that, that he always has been. Well, that kind of brings us to our next storyline, which is, will there be any offensive progress? Arthur Kelly have scored 14 goals last year, spending a lot of his time on the fourth line with Blake Lazat and uh, and Brandon Lemieux. I think that line wound up being the second most frequently iced line for the LA Kings at five on five. Um, Nick, there was a lot of talk about Arthur, Arthur Kaliev, excuse me, needing to become a top six forward, but. I mean, can we expect more than four? I, I let me put it this way: I'm expecting more than 14 goals from him this year, and I don't expect him to be a top six forward. Yeah, it's going to be tough. Uh, it, it's it, it's tough if you're not in the top six um, and not getting a lot of power play time to put up real good numbers, right? Um, I, I think we'll see him on the power play. Last year, he had six power play goals. I mean, Kempe had six, Kopitar had six, so. Um, you've got to consider him in the mix uh, because, again, like Fiala, like Kempe was doing, uh, he shoots the puck. He, he's got a great shot. I know, Jim, you've talked to, you've talked about this. Uh, you think he has the potential to be a 25-30 goal scorer in the NHL, and it's going to be tough for him to do it this year if he's not in the top two lines. Doesn't mean down the road he he can't do it. I mean, he's still only 21. Uh, I, I think – um, again, depending if he's on the fourth line or the third line, kind of, they may interchange him depending on how those lines are going and what they need from those lines. But, you know, if Byfield shows some, some positive numbers and you know, puts up some goals and assists, and let's say he's playing with Ayapalo and Kaliev, okay, then – I guess Kaliev has the opportunity to get 20 goals. I, I, I'm not expecting him to get more than 15, 17, only because I don't think he's going to get that ice time with the addition of a Fiala up front this year. Yep. The one thing, down the road, he can. Down yep. the road, he can be. Uh, he could possibly be a top six guy. Yeah. Something I, I haven't thought a lot about in the past, but I hear from it about it from coaches more and more is just that, you know what, those third and fourth line guys get potentially easier matchups potentially so that's where maybe they can you know produce a little bit I, i'm not going to get deep into this i'm just going to say this about calia Artie, keep doing what you have been doing i i am so impressed with the strides he has made with understanding the flow of a game the speed of a game the tempo of a game not getting out of position not hurting i don't i can't remember the last time he made a play where i thought he he hurt the team defensively I just think this is a kid who, man, either he's a sponge or he's just so good picking up things and, he, and he's able to put it onto the ice from video and from coaching. And then he goes on the ice and he does it. Uh, just hats off. Hats off to, to Artie. All right. That is going to bring us to our uh, second to last question. And I'm just going to uh, lay down on this one and Jim, let you talk about it because I know how passionately you've spoken to me about it before. And uh, the question is, will Kevin Fiala be the player the Kings need him to be? What they need him to be, and Nick touched on it, but Jesse, we've talked touched on it. I've mentioned it before. The Kings need him to be the, the top scorer. Mm -hmm. Point producer. So that's what they need. And, you know, he certainly has it. He has the skill. He has the mentality. I've been hearing, and you know what? I'll be honest. I haven't done research, but, I, you know, uh, that he is a slow starter. 
notoriously. It takes them a while to get going. I, I don't know. How do you pinpoint that? That's kind of a difficult thing. to. But this is what I feel about the top line. They can't get too cute because they're all extremely skilled and they're all extremely smart offensively. But Adrian Kempe last year made a commitment to shooting. He told us, he said, I didn't improve my shot. I didn't work on my shot. I'm just deciding and making that decision quicker to shoot and shoot more. Don't be everyone. Fiala, we know it's not going to happen with Andre, but with Fiala and Kempe, both of those guys have to be selfish in some sense. They have to put that shooter's mentality right to the forefront and keep it. Uh, don't defer. You got to take it. And there, you know, there's going to be a lot of nights because they're all so skilled and they skate so well, and they're, that they're going to be a, an open man somewhere. But I think the best way for them to do it is to is to make sure they they keep doing it. Uh, just make sure they keep shooting with a sh- shoot shot first mentality. Uh, and I think that's going to be very important because a lot of times when you play with a that's a pretty good line, right? I mean, that's. Is that the best line we've seen from the Kings? And again, I know Moore and Deneau and Arvidsson last year production, but potentially with three guys that, you know, 30-goal scoring Kempe and Fiala should be there and, and Kopitar 15 to 16 years, you know, that's that's the best line the Kings have had in a while. Nick, I was asked this morning uh, by uh, <clears throat> my dad, how does Kevin Fiala look? You know, how does he compare? And I said, so for me, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I said I don't remember a player playing the way he does on the Kings since Ziggy Palfi. Not that they're a perfect comparison, but you know, obviously Jeff Carter could come down. He had speed, he had size, he had a great shot. But I just, it's almost not as artistic as Fiala is. Is that? Am I being too uh, precious with my description there? Yeah, I don't know. I'd have to think. Uh, but you bring up Ziggy. I think Ziggy was more of a flashier, dynamic uh, player um, than, than I see from Fiala. They're built differently, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think Foxy noted this uh, in the preseason at, at one of the practices. Fiala just has a, a great sense for protecting the puck and getting himself into areas where when he gets it, he can be dangerous, which is something not every player can grasp or develop. Um, but, yeah, I mean, anybody who comes in to a team and has the potential to be your leading scorer, I mean, you have to get excited about, right? Uh, and 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 he was with a good team last year in Minnesota. Only Kaprizov had more points. And I was looking at, at his numbers with Minnesota, Fiala, I mean, 27 of his 33 goals were five on five. He wasn't like one of the top power play goal producers in the NHL. So that that gets me back to what I was saying saying earlier. He has the ability because the the toughest part about hockey is scoring goals at even strength. Uh, and he has the ability, has shown the ability now that he can he can be a guy that puts up good numbers. So. Uh, yeah, he has the potential to be one of the more productive, more of the more exciting players that we've seen, uh, you know, in a, in a, in a few years uh, with the Kings. So that brings us to our final question and, uh, listeners of all the Kings men and Zach Dooley will appreciate this last year heading into the season. I said repeatedly, oh, the team has too many guys. They need to make a trade by October 15th. 
October 15th came and went. I said, ah, it'll be by November 1st. Then I said, December 1st, then the all-star break, then the trading deadline. And uh, as I said at the top, injuries, COVID, they had just enough guys. Um, so I told Zach and everybody listening, I'm going to get that phrase, too many guys out of my vocabulary because I felt a little responsible that perhaps I I jinxed the team by saying too many guys. But uh, we've talked already about the depth that they have now with you know three defensemen with NHL experience down in Ontario. We talked about the forwards that they can call up. And so the last and final question is, will they keep that depth or will they seek to upgrade uh, some weaker spots in the lineup by moving some of the depth that they have. And, uh, Jim, we'll start with you there. Left D. Really? <laughs> Size on left D. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I'm know, the odd man out here then. <laughs> and it's it's interesting as we go through this conversation because I find myself being more critical this year than I was last year, or more, you know. And, and that's because expectations have gone up. And mm. then, well, if that's going to be the case, and I, they have, they've gone up in my mind too. I've said it before. I, I'm not looking as much as at points and wins. I just think the Kings will get better this year from last year. And I think that will continue for a four or five year period. They're just going to keep getting better every year. And I'm not talking about, well, they may end up with less than 99 points this year, but I think they're still going to be a better team than they were last year. Having said that, if they make a move, I think it's going to be a big one. Big in terms of size of the name or size of the pieces moved? Size of the name coming back. Okay. Nick, any thoughts on uh, potential seismic shifts in the uh, in the roster? Well, I, I think uh, I've talked to so many GMs over the years, and one thing they learn is patience. You have to be patient. We'll see how the season starts. If it's healthy and it's going well, obviously you don't need to make a deal. But sometimes deals fall into your lap that are too good to pass up. Um, but the moves the Kings have made the last couple of years have been to help the team win now, right? Kevin Fiala, Deneau, Arvidsson, Edler, players that have been in the NHL. Uh, and, and I think the Kings are at a point now, having been forced to showcase some of the younger talent because of injuries last year, I think it's going to be – I'll have to ask Rob Blake this. I wonder how, how often he's getting calls on our young defense. Mm. Because you've got to think that other teams in the league, like us, have to have been impressed with what they did last year at the NHL level. So – you know, maybe the right deal comes along that involves one or two of these young defensemen that get gets the Kings that one extra piece, like Jim said, that is a big name that, okay, now this is a team that's going to be hard to play against come playoff time. So, but I think to start, we'll see the patience and uh, see how the season unfolds. You know, if, if Byfield scores, if Kaliev improves, they stay healthy, if Yala scores on a 30-goal pace, they might not need to do anything. But, um, you know, it, it it's always interesting because sometimes when you least expect a big-name trade, boom, all of a sudden it's made and you go, wow, wow, didn't know that was going to happen. So we'll see. But patience. Nobody saw the Fiala trade coming, certainly. And, and Nick, you mentioned Rob Blake, so I want to take a moment to heap praise on him. And, Jim, you tell me if, uh, if I'm reading this situation wrong. But 
the moves that he made over the last few years to improve the team, right, to, ha- to help them become a win-now team, still were fairly conservative in the price he had to pay to make them. And since he's taken over in 2017, he has made a priority of keeping first-round picks, keeping high-value prospects. Um, Brock Faber's the first name of any consequence that's left this organization since basically since 2017. And so now he finds himself in a position where if he does want to make a move for a big name coming back, Jim, like you said, he now has a full complement of assets to make it. He's not mm-hmm. he's not dipping into the future. He's not trading away five years worth of first round picks or something. He's got players to trade. If And I'll clarify because I mm-hmm. think it's I didn't say they were going to make one. Sure. I said if they do, I think it's going to be a big one. Fair enough. It's not going to be one of those, you know. Uh, uh, veteran Alexander Edler, mm-hmm. guy who's going to slow, you know, steady things back. No, no, it's going to be an impact guy. Right. That's what I think. And again, why do you why do you be patient like Rob has and collect all these prospects? They can't all play. They can't. It's just there's the numbers are not there. So you're going to have to find a package. Uh, and let's keep in mind too. I I just find my we're, I don't think the Kings are Stanley Cup contenders yet either. I think they're, again, I think they're going to keep getting better and better and better for the next four or five, six years. They're just going to keep getting better. That's my, because I'm looking at the, the mix of veteran and young guys. I'm looking at a Kaliev and how far he's come in one year's time. If that continues with two or three other guys, and then, you know, two years from now, uh, you know, Quentin Byfield, he should be a pr- production, high production player. You know, you're just going to get into those situations where you're going to have a lot of good players. Uh, but with Rob, you know, it's patience is what you have to do. It is what you have to do. I, I'm just going to go back to what I said earlier. And Nick, you just touched on it. It's early in the season. I, I am still concerned with Dowdy coming back, with Walker coming back, with Dursey coming back, with Arvidsson coming back, off of injuries all at the same time. I'm just concerned whether they get their game going. Having said that, I think around them has improved. Improved dramatically. Fiala and then progression of young players. So the Kings are better equipped to deal with that type of a situation. But uh, I think Nick hit it again is early on. You know, if it goes fine, then Rob can be even more patient. Mm-hmm. Well, Jim, you said you thought you were more critical than you have been in years past. But honestly, this feels like one of the more optimistic versions of this episode we've done. <laughs> uh, Nick, I feel like you're... Uh... Got fewer concerns than you've had in previous years? Yeah, and I think uh, we all do. Uh, you know, I mean, when you add, you know, established players like the four that have been added the last two years, um, you have to be a better team. And and for the most part, they didn't sacrifice any of their blue chip prospects. So, um, and, and like Jim touched on, if some of these young guys can turn the corner, uh, and most of them are 20, 21, 22 in the next year or two. If we see that, boy, then it's going to be it's going to be real positive, real positive. Well, it all starts Tuesday night. Jim, Nick, thank you as always for joining me. All right. Thank you, you guys, Jesse. Yeah, you Kings guys fans. work hard on Tuesday, okay? You guys work hard. <laughs> <laughs> we will. Jim, I'll see you. In, and Nick, I think you're coming in tomorrow, too, to talk to Rob Blake. So I'll see yes, you guys tomorrow. Kings fans, we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>